Does anybody have trouble asking for help? Does anybody know of somebody who has trouble asking for help? Anybody have someone in your family who has trouble asking for help? And maybe you're not raising your hand because they're sitting next to you and that would cause a problem later so you're not getting going there. We all come up with this issue sometimes depending on where it falls. Maybe it's you don't want to ask for help from Google Maps on your phone when you're trying to get somewhere. Maybe you don't like asking for help uh, from you know, somebody in your house when it comes to a DIY project you're trying to do. Uh, maybe it comes uh, from asking for help about you know, even the instructions that come in the box when you're trying to build something. Um, yeah, I saw some fingers pointing on that one. Uh, maybe uh, we don't like asking, you know, you feel like you can figure it out or there's enough YouTube videos that can help you get there, you know, and, and all this stuff. Um, but sometimes we do have trouble from time to time asking for help. There's a really famous story, and you you've maybe have heard it, uh, back when the first iPod came out. Anybody can remember that long ago. Some of you weren't even born yet. Uh, the first iPod came out, the uh, CEO of Sony got one and brought it back to his whole team, and he's standing in front of his whole team in Asia, and he holds up that iPod, and he says, why couldn't we do this? He says, we were the leaders in the market in music with Sony Music, leaders in the market when it came to consumer electronics with the Walkman, leaders in the, why couldn't we do this? And one of his VPs said, well, it's because with the hardware division making the Walkman and this other division making software and this other division making music, no one was asking for help. Everyone was trying to do something similar on their own, but none of the departments were asking for help. They were too busy competing with one another. And because there was no unity, because there was no asking for help from somebody else, they've fallen off in all three of those categories and given way to Apple in a decade and a half because there was no one asking for help. Well, Jesus dives right into this idea of asking for help in Matthew chapter 7, uh, which is where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 7, on page 812, if you can use a Bible on the rack there, it's all on the screens, you can find it on our website, dequeen.church, one of the main things that will pop up there will be today's message, uh, De- Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's wrapping it up here, as we're going to see today and over the next couple weeks, he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the biggest collection of, single collection of Jesus' teachings. And uh, he, he's laying out what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And so he gives this little teaching here that's just a few verses on prayer because prayer is essential. Prayer is fundamental. He's already talked about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And now he's going to talk about it some more because prayer is foundational to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so he gives this idea. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And so the one who knocks, it will be opened. So giving follows asking, finding follows seeking, opening follows knocking. Uh, Has anybody ever played hide and seek? Have you ever played hide-and-seek with someone who did not seek you? (laughs) Maybe you weren't the seeker. Maybe you're the one who went and sat in the chair and let them go hide. Maybe that was you. But in Jesus' demonstration here in what he's saying is if you seek out God, if you ask God, you will get an answer. If you seek, you will find. This is a guarantee. This is a promise, okay? 
And we're going to get there. Some of you are already arguing in your mind. Well, when I ask, it doesn't look like what I'm asking. Or when I ask, it's not what I want. Uh, Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. But Jesus is saying, just laying the groundwork for where he's going, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Now, what, what is also interesting in there, as you can see, ask, seek, knock. All those are in the present tense. And the present tense in New Testament times and the way they spoke and the way they wrote, that was an action that started and continued. An action that started and never stopped. So ask, seek, knock. An action that starts and doesn't stop. So this is the idea behind prayer. You start and it's consistent. You start and it's persistent. You start and it keeps on going. No matter what you face, no matter what comes, you keep approaching God. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. It becomes an attitude. It becomes a worldview in how you see everything from the perspective of continually communicating with God. And and really what prayer is, is prayer is an ongoing awareness of dependence. Prayer is an ongoing awareness of dependence. What you're saying is, I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. I can't do this on my, you're depending upon God to provide for you. You're, you're depending upon God to take care of you. Some of us, you know, in not asking for things, don't want to acknowledge we're dependent upon others. We want to be completely independent and, and figure it out on our own, and we feel better about ourselves when we do. You know, it's ingrained in our culture as an American culture. Be absolutely independent. Don't depend on anybody else, and when they want to oppress you, you fight for your independence. You write your own declaration of independence, and you get out there, and you do your thing, but prayer is acknowledging to God, I am dependent on you. It's, it's humility. It's saying, I, I, I need your help. So prayer is an ongoing awareness of dependence. But notice also there in, in verse 7 and 8, there's a back and forth going on. You ask, God gives. You seek, God allows you to find. You knock, God opens. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be open to them. So what we see in that, in Jesus' own words, Son of God, his own words in describing this back and forth with prayer is that action from God often collaborates with action from us. Now, God doesn't need us to do things. He can do it. He's God. He can do stuff on his own in all kinds of ways. But the way God often operates is he works with us. He works with us. And we, we see that throughout Scripture. I mean, we can say, you know, Jesus provides for us. I mean, at the very base foundational level as a Christian, salvation through faith. He did all the work. He died. He rose from the dead. But I have to have faith in him to begin with. The same with evangelism. God doesn't need me to take the gospel to people. He, can, he could do it on his own and just supernaturally right on the wall in front of their face. But the way God chose to do it in, in giving the disciples to go into the world was by telling them, the, by, by showing them the gospel in Jesus and then sending them out to do it. He depends on us to tell people about Jesus. That's how he chose to do it. He did the work in Jesus dying and raising, but he depends on us to tell others. So it's the work of God collaborating with an action from us. Okay, and remember, Jesus is still building what he's talking about. We're not to the main point here, but action from God often collaborates with action from us, not because he needs to, but because he chooses to and he wants to. 
So look at what he says. The, he gives an illustration. Verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now let's start at the top first, verse 9. If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. We can get into how stones looked and how breads looked in the area, but I mean, there's a, some similarity depending on the bread, depending on the stone. But the idea is, if your son comes to you and says, can I have a loaf of bread, and you shove a rock in his mouth, are you a good father? No. Or if your son says, hey, I'm hungry, can I have a fish for lunch, and you throw a snake at him, is that good? No. Now, the way certain snakes in that area would curl up, they looked like certain fish they had in the in, in their lakes at the time, but that, that's not a good representation. That, that doesn't help. That's harmful to them. That hurts them. He says, if you as a father, as a good father, would give your child, you want to give your child good gifts. You want to. It's a part of your nature. You want, if you're a good father, you want to give them good gifts. And so, he's, he, again, he's giving an illustration that this, this is about the heart of God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good, every good and perfect gift comes from God, every single one. Even if it came seemingly from another source, if it's good, it came from God. Every single one came from the Father, the fa- James 1.17. And so the love of a good father can be more influential in the father's response to his kids than their own nature. So when he says, if you then who are evil, now some of us, you know, bow up at that. I mean, Jesus is saying we're evil, but this is Jesus. He's perfect. And so, but what he's talking about is we as human beings have within us a sin nature that we, we, we are naturally bent towards sin. It's just a part, it's in our DNA. He says, so if we who have sin within us know how to give good gifts to your children, our children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So if we have sin within us, but for a parent, for in his illustration, a father, uh, the love of a good father is more influential over the father's decisions, response to his own kids than his own sin nature. Love is more powerful than sin, even in that. Even the love of a good father is more powerful than sin. And we're gonna see that in a larger way when it comes to God because of the the rest of verse 11. So if you are evil, if you have sin built within you, know, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your father, your father God, who has no sin, who is the very embodiment of love, God is love from John's own words. And so if God is love and he has no sin within him, so if we give good gifts to our kids, how much more is God likely to give good gifts to his children, to those who ask him? So God will give good things, he says there, good gifts. And now we can see that. I mean, it says it right there in the scripture. But internally, I can, already, I can sense it in some of you, and it, it pops out in me as well. You say, okay, God gives good gifts. It says right there in the scripture, Jesus' words God, the Father, who is in heaven, will give good things 
God will give good things to those who ask him. And then he said up in verse 7, ask and it will be given. Gives good things. But you might say, well, when I pray, I don't always get the stuff I ask for. When I pray, it doesn't always turn out like what I'm asking. When I pray, I don't really think it's going to happen because I've prayed 15,000 times before and it did not, you know, end up the way that I thought it should. And so there's not a lot of faith to go behind these prayers from there on uh, after that. But we take these words of Jesus and oftentimes what we want to do and we are want to do is interpret Scripture through our own experience. And that can be a problem when we take one verse and it filter it through my life experience. Rather, Scripture should help me interpret my life experience. Scripture should be an interpretation of it. We should use Scripture to interpret Scripture and allow God's Word to help me better understand what I'm experiencing. And so in other parts of Scripture, speaking on prayer, uh, in, in 1 John 5.14, John writes, If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we ask anything according to His will, you see, faith prayer is about aligning our will with God's will, not attempting to force God's will to fit ours. Oftentimes we get confused. I know I do. In prayer, trying to, 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 to make God's will submit to mine instead of making my will submit to God's will. And so John right there in, in uh, 1 John 5, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So there's a problem in that when we pray in selfishness according to our will, in truth, we're praying to ourselves and not to God. We're not saying, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, God, do what I want. It's not necessarily saying in everything you pray, God, I, I, I pray that I would have a good day if it be your will. God, I pray that I would get the good spot at Walmart if it be your will. God, I pray that when I get to the back of the Walmart, there's still one thing of toilet paper left that I can have if it be your will. It's not necessarily having to say that in everything. It's, it's more an attitude in how we approach God. It, we can pray for all kinds of things to happen. We can pray for God to bring absolute healing, but it's an attitude of trust in God even as we pray, even as we make these requests of God. And the thing in, in what John is saying there in 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The closer we get to God, the greater our relationship is with God, the closer our will, our wants, our desires, our life plan is conformed into God's will and God's life plan for us. So then asking anything in God's will, he hears us. And then James, in James chapter 4, verse 3, James was the brother of Jesus, I mean, how would you like to grow up being the brother of Jesus? James became the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem, and he wrote this letter, James, and it's filled with all kinds of phenomenal wisdom. But in James chapter 4, verse 3, James writes on prayer, and he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So tying James in with what John said, tying in with what Jesus said, Sometimes I pray for God to fulfill my plans instead of his. Sometimes I pray for God to, I mean, just being honest with you, sometimes I pray for God to fulfill my plans instead of his, knowing in the back of my mind, this really probably isn't God's will, but I'm going to pray it anyway. I had a guy tell me just a couple weeks ago, 
He said, I'm praying this for God to do this. And I didn't, you know, I prayed with him and, and we got through it. I didn't pray what he was asking me to pray for because what he was asking me to pray for, I thought in my mind, well, God's not going to answer that because that's absolutely not God's will. So I'm not, I'm going to pray something else. Uh, but we do, I do this. I want God to, to, to fulfill my will instead of his. And what Jesus is trying to get us to is to a point of, of saying, of asking for God to uh, uh, move, asking for God's intervention, asking for God's power, asking for God's uh, uh, strength in the moment, but also it, it's a faith thing, it's a trust thing. Do I trust God in the moment of whatever will happen? Like in the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying we believe God can protect us in the fiery furnace, but even if he does not, he's still on his throne. I will still have faith. It's a part of my journey. It's a part of my process. Because as it was meant to be, prayer is a faith builder. Prayer is supposed to be built on faith and grow from faith, but it's also supposed to build my faith in the process. Help me get stronger in the faith in the process. Help me become somebody that is better than yesterday because I am building my faith as I pray. The more faith reps you get in, the stronger you will become. Faith is a, a prayer is a faith builder. But <laughs> I had a revelation in this in studying for this. Oftentimes, I do, maybe you don't do this, but oftentimes we pray for something. We want it. We want what we want when we want. We want it now. We even as we pray it, we envision it now. As we possess it now, we scratch the lottery card and say, God, uh, yeah, I know, God, give me the, the winning. I'll, I'll tithe it. I'll do all, the, I'll give half of it to you, God. And not saying we wouldn't take it, and we'll still take it if you do that. But, you know, we, we give it to me. God, I want it now, God. We want to experience it now. We want it, and I want it now without having to grow into it, without having to, you know, experience the process of being prepared for whatever I'm asking to, to be strengthened in such a way so, so as to be able to contain what I'm asking for, to be able to produce in power. I want instantaneous uh, uh, answers, instantaneous power, instantaneous strength. But in doing that, what I end up doing is neglecting the process. And we can do this, I've done this, in my own prayers, like say, for instance, and we all, this is a, a, a maxim that you try to not implement in your life, but when you pray for patience, God's going to give you an opportunity to exercise patience. Some of you, God will get you pregnant and you will have a child and you will experience what you need to have been praying for. When you ask for patience, Sometimes, or when I have asked for patience in the past, I want God to supernaturally inject it into my brain and my heart and my limbs and not have to go through the process of, of, of exercising patience. I just want it now. Or when we may ask for boldness, God, give me boldness. We want God to supernaturally take an EpiPen of boldness and inject it into our heart. But oftentimes what God does is he'll give us a process or he'll give us an opportunity to exercise Patience, an opportunity to exercise 
boldness. And what I've done in praying for patience or in praying for boldness, and the opportunity arises, and, and, and I exercise the opposite of patience, or I exercise the opposite of boldness, and I get on the other side of that experience. I say, God, where was the patience? Where was the, you were supposed to give it to me. And God's thinking, well, I gave you the process to grow in that. You exercise a little, you get stronger. You exercise a little more. I mean, it's just like physical exercise. You exercise a little bit, you get stronger. So you up the weights. You exercise a little bit more, you get stronger. And so what God will do oftentimes, I'm not saying he doesn't give us supernaturally in the moment. Sometimes he does. I've experienced that. But more often than not, what he'll do is he'll give us the opportunity to exercise what we're praying for. He'll give us the opportunity to, to grow in the process. He'll give, I mean, like patience, like boldness. Instead of asking God or, or anticipating God, we can still praise him in that. But when God gives us a process, instead of an instantaneous solution, we should still praise him in the process. Instead of getting frustrated that we have to go through a process. Well, God, I saw so-and-so over there, and I know how they live, and you gave them an instantaneous deal. They didn't have to go through a process, God. I'm faithful. I'm there every Sunday. God, I give. Why didn't you give me the instantaneous thing? You gave me the process. Maybe you don't think that way. Maybe you're holy. I've thought that way. God, I am the pastor of the church. Don't give me a process. God says, that's not the way this thing works. This isn't, you know, you get so many tally marks, you've done so many check marks, so you're good, so you don't have to go through the mess. That's not the way this works. I'm a sinner, just like you're a sinner. I need process, just like you need process. And so we ask God for whatever we ask him for. Ask and you shall receive. We ask him for the thing. We make a request of him. But what I do in my mind is I don't take into account almost every single time, I don't take into account the process of what that means, of what that looks like. And then I come, it happened to me recently, I come to a situation and, and I experience something and I think, wait a minute, this is what happened to me recently. I prayed for that five years ago. And now here it is. But if I had gotten it five years ago, I wasn't ready for it. I was not. I mean, now having the thing, I, was, I would have crumbled under the weight of it because I wasn't strong enough in that area. I wasn't ready. And God knew it. So he had to bring a process to bring me to a point to be ready for the thing I asked for. And I prayed back then diligently, but I forgot about it over time. But God does not forget our prayers. If you've been with us on Revelation, you've seen in, in, in God's throne room, he has these bowls that our prayers accumulate into, and they're always in his presence, always in his presence. So even something that I prayed for a few weeks, five years ago, God can bring to fruition now, even though I haven't touched the prayer in five years. Because God is faithful, even if I'm forgetful. Prayer is a faith builder. It's a process. Sometimes the good thing that we see he speaks of there, Jesus speaks of in uh, uh, verse 11, he will give good things to those who ask him. Sometimes the good thing that God gives is a result of a process that we did not intend when we originally made the request. And in that moment, we have to decide whether we will trust God with his answer that's a process or not. Will we trust him with the process or not? Do I believe that God knows more than I do? 
Do I believe that God is more powerful than I am? Do I believe that God has better plans than I can, you know, muster and, 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 and use whatever cleverness or, or, you know, diplomas I have in my shed that God knows more than me? Or do I not? Do I trust me more than him with my situation? And I pray it once, it didn't happen, and so I lose faith and get weaker. And then I try again and I pray and I lose faith and get weaker. And I... And, in doing so, neglect the process of I'm not ready to handle what's happening. But God, I know I'm ready, God. I know, I, I know that I'm ready. And God whispers, nah, you don't know. You don't know. Because God knows us better than we do. God knows me way better than I do. Way better. And so I've got to decide, do I trust him? Do I trust him with my life? Do I trust him with my decisions? Do I trust him with my reaction? Do I trust him or not? Even as I pray, do I trust even the process he brings that I didn't anticipate that's frustrating, the process that he brings that's irritating? Do I trust that the process will make me stronger and bring me to a place where I'm ready to receive the good things he's speaking of? I have to trust him. I have to trust him. I have to tr Do I trust him to guide me even through a rough and difficult and stormy sea uh, that will bring me to a place of growth, bring me to a place of strength? Even if the process is confusing, even if the process is humbling, even if the process is cloudy, in order to receive the good things that will come along the way, along the journey, and once we arrive at the destination, and so this is what we have to do, all right? This is worth the price of the trip to church today or the price of the click online. This is it. What we need to do is ask for God's intervention and strength for the process. Ask for God's intervention and strength for the process. Not neglecting the process. God, I pray that you would do this and that you would give me strength if this is a process that you would give me faith if this is a process. Because we can see from our own life, from my own life, I'll give you testimony after testimony where I've grown impatient and, and tried to circumvent God's process. But we can also see it in scripture from the life of Abraham. God came and gave him a promise. I'm gonna bring descendants from you. Abraham said, God, I'm 75. I got no kids. How's this gonna work? Abraham then had to wait over 10 years. And he was frustrated. He got irritated. I, I wouldn't wait that long. I don't know about you guys. But he, he, he tried to take matters into his own hands and produced a nation of people that turned into the enemies of the people that God was going to use to bring salvation to the world. All because he was impatient. And then he had to wait another, like 14 years to actually see God's fulfillment. Abraham's process was 25 years. 25 years. When he was 75 25 years is different from when you're 25 from when you're 75. I'm not there yet, but I can, I, can, I can picture it. If I'm 75 and God gives me a promise and the answer to the promise is 25 years down the road, I'm thinking, okay, God, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see it when it comes to be, all right. But God brought his promise to fruition when Abraham was 100 years old and did fulfillment there because Abraham had to go through a 25-year process. Some of us need that. 
25-year process. Some of us need a 40-year process, like the Israelites in the wilderness. It wasn't just necessarily 40 years in the wilderness until all the faithful people were rem- faithless people were removed. It was also a 40-year process for Joshua, who was going to lead the people into the promised land. He needed the process. And even when the process was over, you know what God said over and over and over again in Joshua chapter 1? Be strong and courageous. He had a 40-year process. I would think God had plenty of time to tell him. But here it is again, over and over and over again in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. I know you've strengthened over 40 years. I know you've grown. But the process is over, and now it's time to move into what I promised all those years ago. Process many times will bring promise. Promise fulfillment if we are faithful through the process. Will we trust God with the process? Will we ask him for his intervention and his strength? Power in the process, processing power in the midst of what God is going to do and deliver. Because the process is developmental. It it, it develops us, it grows us, it brings us to where he wants us to be. Sometimes we think though, "I, I don't need the process. I don't need to be developed, I'm already there, God, I have arrived, I'm already, I've done, I put in my time, and I'm there, and and, and I don't need a process anymore. But the thing is, if you're still here, you're not there yet. We're still in process, all of us, all of us. When the process is over, you won't be here anymore. I won't be, when my process is done, I won't be here anymore. I'll be in heaven in perfection. Until then, I'm still in process because God's still working on me to make me who he wants me to be. I can't remember the rest of the song, but I remember that part. He's still working. He's still working. Sometimes it's, you know, hands like modeling clay. Sometimes he's got to get out the hammer and chisel because I've gotten a little hard. He's got to knock something off. Sometimes it's a sledgehammer. But God's still working. He's still helping me to bring, to, to, to power through the process to get to where he wants us to be. So we need to pray for his direct and absolute and supernatural intervention and strength for the process or faith through the process. As the father who brought his son to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you to heal him. And Jesus said, If you have faith, the man said, I have faith. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It is possible to be possessors of both, to have an element of faith, an element of belief, but still have that nagging feeling in the back of your mind, in the depths of your heart of unbelief. This isn't going to happen. Even if it takes five years, even if it takes like Abraham 25 years or Joshua 40 years, and somewhere in the midst of that time, we're thinking, yeah, this is never going to happen. This is not. Whatever process God's bringing me through, he forgot about me, and I'm just stuck here. You know, I'm seeking, but he's sitting on the couch not finding. I'm just here. That's not the way God works. He continues to be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. His presence is always with us, even in the depths of the sea, in the belly of a whale. He will come and visit us if we simply turn to him, and he will bring us through the process to the place he desires us to be, even if it doesn't look like what we thought. It will look like what he knew, power in the process. And so we're going to have a time of prayer right now, and we're going to pray for these things, God's intervention and strength for the process. 
not just in us, we're also going to have a time of prayer for our world, for our nation, for our community. Direct intervention and strengthen the process. Because Katie sent me an article this week of, uh, about a plague from the year that began in the year uh, A.D. 249. I, I, I looked it up just because the article didn't say the name of the plague. It was called the Cyprian Plague. And I said, well, where did they get that name? Is that a city? Now, Cyprian was a guy who wrote about the plague. I thought, well, they named it Cyprian. It's like it's his fault. And he just wrote about it so we could all see it. I said, poor guy. I mean, they've got a picture of him on, on, in this other article I saw. And he's like crying in the article. And he's got these surprised eyes. And I said, yeah, you named the plague after me. Thank you. I wouldn't have written about it if you would have known that. But... The Cyprian plague was devastating and terrible. And it was so, I mean, I'm not even going to recount to you the things that happened to the people who got this. I mean, it was just beyond, you know, stuff we see. I mean, it's just, stuff we see in movies doesn't even compare to what they saw then in this Cyprian plague. But it was rampant and it was everywhere. But before, when somebody that they knew contracted this, this sickness, in order to remove, I mean, it was, part of it was leg paralysis, part of what was happening. You would lose the use of your legs, you would go blind, you couldn't hear. Um, is they would take somebody with whatever coverings they could, wrap them up, and just throw them on the road. Just throw them on the road, because they didn't want the sickness anywhere near them. Could be their spouse, could be their parents, could be their kids, because you got this, it was a death sentence, you died. And they would just take them and throw them out, because they didn't want the germs anywhere near them. And, uh, but what's so fascinating about this was this is what the Roman Empire did. They got it. They just tossed the people on the road. It's still alive, crying out for help. We're talking about asking for help. These people are on the road dying, crying for help, and their family members are walking by. The Caesar even established charities to try to help people, but they weren't because they didn't want to get sick. But you know who answered the call for help? Christians. Christians. Knowing full well that if they went over there and unwrapped those people who were asking for help, they would get sick. And many of them did. Many of them got sick and many of them died. But what they did is they displayed the heart for Christ. For these people on the road, no one wanted. They answered the call for help. You know, I was reading this morning in my time with the Lord. Jesus tells his disciples to pray and ask God to send people out to help the world. And you know what happens in the very next few verses? He tells his disciples, ask God to send people out. And Jesus in the next few verses sends his own disciples out. The prayer you're asking, you are the answer to that prayer. And so in the Cyprian plague, people dying everywhere, it was the Christians who went and took care of them. It was the Christians who displayed absolute selflessness in helping these people, taking their own stores and their own supplies and giving it to these people, putting at risk their own health to help these people. And it, dis, it, was, it had a, a profound effect on the Roman Empire, which was pagan at the time, which was anti-God at the time. Because those charities that Caesar started, he wanted those charities, he wrote to them. We have records. He wrote to them and said, you need to emulate the Christians. You need to copy them. And they wouldn't do it because they didn't have the hope and salvation that motivated the Christians to do it. 
Caesar could not believe that it was only these terrible Christians who would do this thing. He, he said it was a national disgrace that Christians were caring for people and no one else was. Because it's a display of absolute grace through the believers being the hands and feet. And so now when we have in the world panic, and whatever you think about it, the issue isn't what you think about it. It's how you respond to it. Responding in grace, responding in mercy, responding with the love of Jesus when nobody else will in the way that only Jesus can. Only people who know the, the, the hope that Jesus provides can. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for urgent needs that you need God's intervention. And maybe you've been in a process now for a decade and you don't know what to do anymore. Maybe you, like me, prayed something years ago and forgot about it. And God's been bringing you through a process and you're about to see something. And you need awareness of, of his deliverance and his answer. But we're also going to pray for our community. And we're going to pray for what God is doing. And that God would use us. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray for peace. And that we would be the purveyors of that peace. We're going to pray for God's answer and that we would be the answer in it. All right? We're going to pray that God would use us as instruments for the process and see what God does. And so I'm going to ask you right now as we pray that if you need something prayed for, you would come to the altar. If you need an issue that you have, God's intervention and strength, maybe if you need prayer for your process, that you would come. If you want to pray for our community, I'm going to ask you to come. And we're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for the world. We're going to pray for panic hearts to find peace. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7. The spirit of fear is prevalent, but it didn't come from God. And so anytime fear arises, it's not from God. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. So anytime something the opposite of one of those three happens, it's not from God. And in the same thing, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Even when the earth give way and the mountains give way into the sea and the world is turned upside down, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help, always there, in times of trouble. And nobody knows to turn to God unless those who have God tell them and bring them to him. And so that's what we're gonna pray. And so I'm gonna ask you to come. Come now and I'm gonna pray. If you need something prayed for, if you need strength for the process, but come, come. We're gonna pray for our community as well. Come down here. Let's pray. We're gonna pray for God to move. We're gonna pray for the process. We're gonna pray for our own ability to stand in the process. God, I pray first and thank you for your hand always being ready to receive us when we turn to you. I thank you for your, willing, your willingness 
to use us, imperfect people, to fulfill your will. God, I pray that if anyone has a need, a legitimate, absolute, desperate need of you, that you would provide. You would, with your supernatural healing hand, bring definite intervention that can only be credited to you. And that you would provide as well strength for the process, faith for the process. And that we would trust you as we are in process. Because even though this too shall pass, God, I pray that we would be aware of your presence as it does. God, I pray for our world, our community, our nation. As it does at times seem as though the world has turned on its head and as though the earth is giving way. And God, I pray specifically for your intervention, for your healing for your complete, miraculous stoppage of this virus. Those who've contracted would find healing in you. And the spreading would stop. God, I pray that it would be in such a way and communicated in such a way by your people that you're the one who gets the praise for it. God, help us as believers, as faith-filled followers of Jesus to experience strength within us, your strength, your peace that passes all understanding and not just be a blockage of that peace, but we would be a conduit for it. It would flow through us, through every orifice, and out into the world. So the story isn't about the spreading of a virus. The story becomes the spreading of the peace of God by God's people. God, I pray that we would be your tools in the process. And we thank you, God, we thank you in advance of, of your deliverance, of your movement, and pray that we would believe and that you would supply the strength we need in our unbelief so that we, we ourselves can grow stronger in our own process as we help the world grow in their process, that we would find faith. We would find peace and not panic as we turn to you always. Even those of us, myself included, who are prone to anxiety and panic within us, we would lean on you. You would bring scripture to our mind. You would bring peace and prayer to our lips. And we would find our strength in the joy of you. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. God, we thank you for Jesus. 
do a great work here, here and now. Even to the, to the extent that DeQueen, Arkansas becomes ground zero for an outbreak, a pandemic of peace and gospel spreading to the world. Bring it here and now as your people are calling out before you. This would be the place. This would be the opportunity. Help us to see it for what it is and to stand on your word, on the faith of, uh, of Jesus' death and resurrection, the communication of the gospel and, and the Prince of Peace that died and rose. God, we thank you for that peace. We thank you for your love and compassion for the world. Help us as we go. Give us, give us patience, boldness, and peace, and faith for the process. In your name I pray, amen.